Welcome to the Meetings Done Right podcast. This is a podcast in support of the TableXI Inclusion Meeting Cards. In every episode of this podcast, we discuss topics around one of the individual cards in the deck, cards that represent a role in a meeting or a behavior that you want to encourage or discourage. And in this episode, we are talking about the Devil's Advocate card and how we can turn that from a negative into a positive. And we have a guest. Our guest is Rachel O'Mara. Rachel, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience? Hi. Yes. Hello, everyone. I'm Rachel O'Mara, and it's great to be here today. I am a, a little bit of an entrepreneur, a little bit of a corporate person. I live in San Francisco. I've been at Google for the past 11 years. I work in the world of literally the sales and programmatic buying, to be specific. And I've also authored a book called Pause, Harnessing the Life-Changing Power of Giving Yourself a Break. And that is based on my own experience from burning out of Google earlier in my career, as well as a lot of emotional and social learning that I have been studying in the past few years. So I'm really excited to be here. I'm a big fan of supporting innovation. And I think as us all being humans, we all have that capacity within us. So I'm excited to be here today. Thank you so much for being here. Rachel, you and I met in Madison, Wisconsin, when you came to promote your book, Pause. Mm -hmm. And we had so much fun. We, we had events through the Women in Tech and the Google Developer Group and culture community up there. You were on quite a, a book tour. Yeah, I know. That was around when my book came out. And I, I still have a lot of memories that were so helpful from that time where I did the Disrupt Milwaukee and then went up to, as you said, talk about culture. So I definitely feel like there's a synergy there between our work, Ashley, you and myself, and and mm -hmm. uh, it's been really great to co-create with you along the way, even overall, like multiple years now. So yeah. it's exciting to share more about the background of what I have, and I think that will apply today to our topic. So I'm really excited to dive in. So Ashley, would you want to start maybe by explaining what we mean in this, in the inclusion meeting card world, what the devil's advocate card means, because it doesn't just mean you get to play the card and be a jerk to everybody's idea. Right. Yeah, absolutely. What? So this is actually yeah. one of my that. favorite no, cards. The, yeah, the yeah. be a jerk card doesn't, uh, doesn't exist we, either. We, it didn't make the final cut. <laughs> yeah, we left that card out of the cut. deck. Yeah. Yeah. The artwork was amazing, though, and maybe we'll release an extra. That's like a bonus card you get later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's, there are six cards where you can uh, make your own, and we've had some suggestions for like a jargon card, which is a really good suggestion. Oh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But uh, definitely another you have a you have a whole space for a, I get to be a jerk right now card. But the devil's advocate card is one of my favorites because the intention is to take uh, is to give it to a junior person who's um, likely to be a little intimidated by a meeting with hippos in the room, the, the highest paid people, and have them really participate actively by playing the devil's advocate on all of the major issues. So as you're going through topics, you have uh, the junior most person who's assigned and this is their job, and they'll play the devil's advocate for all the things on deck. Yeah. So unlike some other cards in the deck, which are encouraging or discouraging behavior, this is actually a role. What kinds of things do you like to do to encourage people who might otherwise not feel empowered to give their opinions in meetings to speak up? I think it's a really powerful way to think about this. And my first thought is around asking a question around, even for ourselves and listeners, 
think about a meeting you were in where someone said something potentially that sounded a little strange or off the cuff, even maybe different, and that changed the entire direction of the meeting or entire direction mm. of a conversation, which influenced an outcome that maybe wouldn't have happened. Just think about that for one moment. Jog your memory, maybe the last week, two weeks, month or something like that. I feel like that that is one of the most powerful things that can be done in a meeting and really has a, a big potential impact. So for that, I know as a, as a junior person, I've, we've all been there and have started our careers. It can be really intimidating. But what I like to think about, uh, there's a couple things as a devil's advocate. I also like to think of this as the critic, right? So literally you are a critic. You're there to poke holes in things, maybe ask questions that others wouldn't say. And this is a potential to shine. Like this is your role that you could choose, even if you're junior, to be seen and to make an impact in a meeting that you may not otherwise have that opportunity or courage or thought to do so. So I think of it as a humongous way to show up. And if you're willing to take it on, it could really change the course of not only the the meeting or the talk at the time, but also your career. Like it could be a game changer. And to me that like, who wouldn't want to participate in that, right? If you have the opportunity to influence and say something, I think that role gives you permission that that card is great because it really allows anyone who has it, whether you're entry level or a, or a 20 year veteran or the hippo to chime in and know that you're safe, know that you're okay. Hey, this is the role I have. This is where I'm supposed to be right now. So to me, I think that is a gift and it isn't something we're normally used to, especially if you're kind of quiet or you're not used to speaking up and you're new, let's say. Mm -hmm. So why not seize that opportunity? That's pretty cool. Yeah. One of the things I like about the structure of this is that the idea here is that it depersonalizes it a little bit. Like, yes, I'm, I'm critiquing it, but this is my role here to critique it. So it's not a personal attack. I don't have to put my necessarily my personal self online, but it's just the role I have here. Like I'm being called upon to do this for the, for the group. And I think that makes it a little bit easier. Definitely. Yes. It it gives that permission. But what I also think is really valuable is the role of the critic in itself, whether you've got the card or not. And being a critic, this is something I've learned over time. Doesn't come natural to me, but others it might. And, And think of a critic as a truth teller. You're there to tell the truth. And if you don't like something, maybe you don't say it like, I don't like this, but you could say, I'm not sure I really believe this could work. Can you share more? And Hmm. asking open-ended questions, not making it personal. So again, it's business. Most of us are there to better our worlds. And that means your job is to show up. And in this case, as a devil's advocate, but like, think of it as you're, you're responsible as well to change the course of what this is, because you're potentially seeing things that others aren't catching because you're just got that mm-hmm. watchful eye. And that to me is a really, really interesting role to have. And, and also the gift of the critic is to shed light on things that others maybe won't see. And instead of thinking of it like, oh, I've got to be the jerk or like share, share something that no one wants to hear, don't worry about that. Instead, I would invite anyone to rethink this as an opportunity to be the critic, but you are the truth teller so that man, how much better would that product be if we really vetted it and knew that maybe this won't work? Maybe we do need to rethink something. Maybe we need to test X, Y, Z. And that is what the critic can spot and potentially lead to. And I think that's where I would go if I had that card. Yeah. I think oftentimes if we take it outside of meeting, the role of a critic 
uh, you know, somebody offering a critique of some work is even not so much to say mean things about it necessarily, but to sort of accurately and objectively describe it from a perspective that's not the perspective of the person whose idea it was, mm-hmm. right? It's not a license to be a meanie. And there are ways to do it that don't involve being a meanie, but it is, I think, taking away from the person who's necessary, who had the idea to try and like restate the idea in a way that potentially raises some questions or sheds a different perspective on how the rest of the group should talk about or think about that. Yeah, I agree. I think that that is a a large, significant way to to play the role. And my thought around the, the meanness part is interesting because the thing with the critic is yeah, you're you're there to poke holes. That's how I like to think of it, and be the truth teller and and ask those really provocative questions that that would change the course of what's happening, which I think is again like really powerful. And maybe it means you're not tip, like you're not nice about it. Maybe you are a little mean, but not in a personal way. You just might say, "This isn't working for me." I, hang on, guys. Like, hang on. Let's look at this in more detail. Can we go over that again? There's nothing mean about that. That is an objective statement. And uh, it's also about the delivery, of course. But I think you can have an intention to be really uh, impactful and use your own voice in whatever way that works. And it might sound, I mean, you might think it sounds mean, but in reality, it's probably not. It's probably just something that's helping others as well learn and think about something differently. I would think of mean being like an attack on someone personally and like no Mm -hmm. one's probably going to do that in the meeting. So being a critic means you've got that really watchful eye and you're popping up someone's radar because maybe there's not something you you 100% agree with. Maybe you agree with it 80%, but just saying, hang on, that's a great phrase. Like, hang on, hang on guys. Uh, Wait a minute. Let's think this through. What do you mean when you say this or how do you expect this to happen to me that's like when you when you hear that I'll ask you Ashley does that sound mean to you that's a great question there's a lot of talk lately about building cultures of feedback and how important that is and it's the Mm -hmm. you know it's sort of the difference between like somebody telling you you have spinach in your teeth like I absolutely want people to tell me I have spinach in my teeth I don't think it's mean I think it's mean to allow you to go on thinking that everything is fine when you have you know something green stuck in your teeth or you're um, going forth with an idea Mm -hmm. that is flawed in some way that could be made better and so we are in business we will fail occasionally but I think it's really important to be really honest and open to feedback when you have it. So I don't think it's mean. I think there are a lot of company cultures that are so afraid of that perception that it is mean that they fail to give Mm -hmm. really valuable feedback. And that's not someplace I want to be either. Totally. At the same time, there are also cultures that are so hyper aggressive about giving feedback that it is a deterrent Mm -hmm. too. And you, you don't want that. Like, I remember a long time ago when I was choosing, I, I, I went to visit a research center. People would present their work on a weekly basis and, and like the, the goal of the meeting for the rest of them was to like disrupt the person by asking so many questions that they couldn't get through their presentation. That was the accepted culture. And I was like, nah, this is not, not for That's me. That's so terrible. Um, yeah. Somewhere in between that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to be doing that myself. <laughs> Yeah, somewhere in between, I think is good. And then and what, what's coming to my mind is having either uh, agreements, so meeting agreements, where we all agree to operate in a certain way. And maybe that's with the cards. Mm-hmm. And that could be a, a values exercise that's already existing. You just bring it up and remind people in the beginning is a great way to go. Here's our three rules. Here's our, here's the opportunities. Here's what we 
stand for. And in getting buy-in and making sure everybody agrees with that, especially if you're starting this and it's a new concept. And then the other thing is it's easy to judge and to make uh, judgments in our own minds. So instead of really having a judgment, I would offer the invitation to just think of things as data, like see things as data as people present them and offer your two cents. Be the critic, be the devil's advocate, be whatever card you have in the best interest of knowing there's goodwill in the meeting and knowing we're all in this together to try to get something done. And I think when we have those tenants in mind, things can move in a really smooth way, but you are able to really provide the best of the best for feedback and opportunity to improve anything or brainstorm in whatever stage you're in. Uh, ultimately, that that can ideally lead to a really good smooth culture where people feel included and have a really good representation of what's possible in that meeting. Yeah, starting meetings with a discussion of the the values, the rules of the meeting actually is something we do here quite a bit, at least for certain kinds of meetings. Um, and it's also something we do at the beginning of projects where the, the team will get together and sort of discuss their, for lack of a better term, rules of engagement throughout the rest of the time. Uh, and we find that to be pretty effective. Rachel, do you have any specific advice along this line for meetings that are remote? Mm-hmm. Is there any part of this that you need to be more careful about? Yeah. So I know all about remote meetings. I feel like most of my meetings have been remote or they're in some way not in person 100% of the time. So that's just, I think, a reality of where our world is going. So I think we all need to be really up to speed on on what can work and how it works better. And I think the biggest thing about being remote is you really just see, in for the most part, uh, a talking head or someone who's like a neck up from mm-hmm. a screen, potentially. If you've got a room, it might be people in the room, but there might be distance. You can't really read expressions great. So I think it's really important uh, to pause and listen first to others, allow people to finish what they're saying, have those rules potentially be like, if you know if there's need to go over, then you can, but maybe there's like a timer even set for that stuff. But I think from the remote side, it's really easy to misinterpret people and and what's happening because you get you're there, but you're but you're not there 100% in the room. So you just you know if it's you're if you're in a room, how different is that than being on a screen? And it does feel different as much as we'd want it to be the same. And we try, and it might even be a phone call, right? So there's a, a loss of the visual if you're on there, and you might not be able to interpret how things are really going. So I think it's good to ask clarifying questions. And again, open-ended questions to say more. And I know from my experience, I participate a lot in team meetings where we've got multiple offices in a joint video conference. For those meetings, I, I think it's good to chime in when there's questions. So you want to be someone who can be additive to the meeting. So if you've got the cards, whether you're doing that or if it's just something that you want to share, that's great. And and but it, but it also that like you know there might be. Re- 90% of the people in one room. So making sure you ping an organizer maybe in advance to say, hey, I have this idea, I want to share it today. Or uh, do you mind if I have a minute to respond to this or something like mm-hmm. that? If you can, not always it's, po- it's not always possible. And then on one-on-one meetings, I think that's really where a lot of the listening can be really genuine and important, but it takes extra effort. It takes more conscious learning and Again, you can't, it's so easy to want to multitask, whether you're on the phone or doing something else. And and I know from a, I'm a recovering multitasker myself, I think that there's uh, a lot of, of just really 
being focused and having an effort and an agreement uh, for everyone to maybe have laptops down or not to be multitasking. Because I think that in remote situations, that's like a really easy thing to do and it's hard to control it. So Rachel, tell us more about the pause that you took and sort of how our listeners can get a sense of that for their own lives. Yeah, yeah. So long story short, I burned out of a role. I was in a, uh, a customer support manager operational role several years ago at Google. And I just felt like I wasn't doing well. I was getting feedback. I wasn't meeting expectations. Yet I Despite that, I was trying really, really hard and couldn't really figure out what was going wrong. And I call a pause any intentional shift in behavior. So it doesn't mean it's a long break. Mm. But in my case, at that point, I, I felt very mentally drained. And so I, off, I asked for a three-month unpaid leave, and I got approval for it. And I know that that's not a, that is not an option most companies offer or even individuals get, where only 14% of companies globally offer any type of paid or unpaid leave. I think it's growing, but in my case, I was very fortunate. And I chose to take that time to really learn and take a, a look at myself. And I had never done that before where I wanted to see where and who I really was. Like, who, who is this woman who works in tech but maybe isn't really on the right path? Is this where I'm really supposed to be? And so I did return to Google, as we know, I'm there now. And I actually looked at a role that aligned with my strengths. I did a strength finder assessment, which is from the Gallup and uh, Tom Rath. And I learned that my strengths weren't really aligned with the role that I'd had previously. So that was one of the things and other things I realized more about personal responsibility of really owning that, yeah, this isn't a fit and maybe I'm not living up to these expectations and, and how can I change that? What could I do differently and, uh, and not beat myself up for it is part of it too. So all of that happened and as a result, I started doing things that brought me more joy at Google. And one of them was hosting speakers and I ended up hosting a speaker who wrote a couple books on emotional intelligence who invited me to their training. And that's where I have been studying emotional and social learning at the Wright Foundation in Chicago uh, for the last seven years. So to me, a pause was what I needed then, but I really help people now understand what they could be doing that helps them be more self-aware, whether it's intentional shifts in behavior that are a moment, just kind of detoxing of Mm -hmm. digital devices and turning your phone off after 9 p.m., or maybe it's a risk or something out of your comfort zone that you wouldn't normally do that feels really nourishing. Or maybe it's actually a week off that you take and intentionally learn about what did you want to do in your next step in your career because maybe you want to do something different or add more or align in a different way. And so I, I wrote the book based on my experiences, but also a lot of the research that I've been learning over the last few years in emotional and social learning. And my goal is to help people learn that it's okay to pause and not have to be on an always on mode, because that's just not a sustainable way of being as most of us have probably experienced in some way, shape or form. Rachel, we've been asking all the people uh, that have come on the show with us to share uh, either their best or their worst meeting stories or both if they have them. What stories would you like to tell us? Hmm. That's a good question. I love that question because it made me uh, it makes me jog my memory. Like, what is the best meeting? Because I don't typically think of those things. But uh, what I what I what is coming to mind is I don't have a specific meeting, but I I can just give you one example recently. 
And it has to do with speaking freely, like just flowing with what I want to share. And I think it ties in really well with the devil advocate card where, you know, you, you feel like you want to interject, but you feel like afraid to share the truth or what you'd really want to say. And so I say, go for it, say what matters. And I, I ended up sharing about an idea that I had with a colleague that I thought of about five years ago for a, uh, a way that to make advertising more inclusive of brands and giving back and, she wants to run with it and try it out in a product we have at Google. And so that was just something I kind of mentioned, but it was something I was flowing with, wanted to share and followed my desire to share it with her and, and connect. And, and so to me, now this could be an entirely new pilot project we do and it would never have happened if I hadn't spoken up. So I think that's a big takeaway for me, no matter what meeting I'm in, I can share what is on my mind in a, in a way that is effective and ideally someone or others would benefit from it. And so that was really cool. And that just happened at a, it was actually at an offsite uh, two weeks ago. So that was one that I had. That's so great. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I, and I think that if you give yourself permission to speak up and have that, you know, I think there's lots of opportunities for really great meetings like that. So, so that's one of my good meetings. Was there another part of the question? Do you have a worst meeting story? Yeah. Okay. I thought that's what it was. Uh, worst meeting. Luckily, I, I don't have any blaring d- disastrous stories. I think where I work and the meetings I've had, I think have been, I've been very fortunate not to have anything crazy, but from a personal story, I remember when I was burning out and my manager sat me down in a one-on-one and said, Hey, Rachel, I don't think this job is a fit for you. To me, that was a pretty bad meeting because <laughs> I was literally getting the proverbial pink slip that like, I need to figure something else out. And to me, even a bad meeting can be a wake-up call. In my case, that was a wake-up call to look at myself and figure out what to do because what I was doing wasn't working. But again, she was a critic. She was a, an advocate for me and a devil's advocate saying, hey, like I care about you and I think this isn't the fit that you want. And I didn't really know it because I wasn't in it at the time. Like I, I, wasn't, I was in it and I couldn't see that. Mm-hmm. And so looking back, I'm so grateful for that. Oh my gosh, like, you know, everything that's happened in my career has been almost as a result from that terrible meeting I had, quote unquote. So I think that good, bad are are ways that we frame things. And something that's bad, I would ask the question, you know, what is the positive outcome of this? Or what is something that can be good from what just happened. And there's always something and our brains love to harness the negative. And this is also emotional training, right? So if you can actually force yourself to think of what's positive, even if it's the worst meeting ever, Hmm. you're going to be benefiting long-term and so will others as well, because you're going to learn something and maybe you'll never do that again. Or maybe you'll be like, Hey, that was actually a great way to get something out. We would never have gotten like, who knows? And it might lead to other things. So that's what I, I'm thinking of right now. <laughs> That's such a great answer, Rachel. And I think such a testament to who you are as a person, because I can tell you that literally every other guest has said like, I don't know that I have a best meeting, but I definitely have a worst. Really? <laughs> How funny. Yeah, people, people have been very, very, people have been very, very. So uh, we were, we're recording these out of order. This is going to be one of the first ones that's going to come uh-huh. out. Uh, but yeah, people are, are have generally been much more emotional about their, their worst. Meetings. Right. That's hilarious. Well, that's what I'm talking about. Everyone, fo- I mean, it's easy to focus on the negative unless you're really thinking consciously about it. And and if we're just all a little more conscious, then hopefully we'll have better meetings in general. <laughs> uh, Rachel, was there someplace online where people could uh, get some more information about your book and the other things that you do? There is. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked. So 
I have a website. It's rachelomera.com. It's just my name. And that has all kinds of goodies on it. I'm offering a blueprint, which is a guide to three steps to turn overwhelm into thriving at work and beyond. So if anyone wants to go to my website, rachelomera.com, you can download that free blueprint and ideally learn how to get out of overwhelm and other things are on that site. I have a, I also have a podcast called The Pausecast. You can find that on iTunes and other channels as well. But that's where you can find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thank you. It was fun. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Meetings Done Right podcast. If you would like to learn more about the Inclusion Meeting Cards, order a set of your own, or find out about other episodes of this podcast, go to meetingsdoneright.co. That's meetingsdoneright, all one word, .co. You can also find out more about this podcast by searching for Meetings Done Right wherever you listen to podcasts. Leaving a review on Apple Podcasts will help people find the show. The Inclusion Meeting Cards and the Meeting Done Right podcast are produced by TableXI. TableXI is one of Inc. Magazine's best workplaces and a top-rated custom software development company on Clutch.co. Learn more about TableXI at TableXI.com. Meetings Done Right is hosted by Ashley Quinto-Powell and Noel Rappin and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks for listening.